This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. You may be seated and open to Matthew chapter 28. If you're in the Sanctuary Bible, that is 835, page 835. Today is Global Mission Sunday, which means in our national church throughout the ACNA, churches are putting a spotlight and highlighting the work of bringing the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And so I'm going to do something a little unusual. Uh, this will only work if you go with me, so go with me. I want you to stand up if you currently are, your work is in missions in some way. Uh, you are involved in a mission organization, um, not if you're like supporting financially or praying, but if you're actually doing mission work. Anybody here? There was about 10 people at the first service? Okay, all right. Now stand up. We got one? Awesome, great. Now stand up. Stay standing, Jean, or uh, Diane. Stand up if you at some point were on the mission field. Maybe you grew up as a missionary kid. Maybe you spent some time, uh, I would say at least six months. So short-term missions doesn't make the cut. But six months or more, if you've spent some time on the mission field, go ahead and stand up. Okay? All right, stay standing. And now, if you support someone who is doing work in the world, uh, the work of, of global missions, financially or through prayer, or maybe you're part of their Barnabas team or their support team, go ahead and stand up now. Okay, look around. You can all have a seat. That's really exciting. Um, and truly, every one of us could be standing because just to be a part of this church means that you are part of Resurrection fulfilling the Great Commission because we have 14 units of global partners. Um, that A unit means one person, if it's an unmarried person, a couple, or a family. All of those counts as one unit. So 14 units representing probably more than 30 people who right now, as we speak, are around the globe bringing the good news of Jesus Christ in love, in word, and deed. Um, before I keep going, I do also want to mention to our young people, particularly junior high, senior highers, or college students, that I had you in mind as I was preparing the sermon. Uh, because a lot of the older folks in this room probably have heard a, a teaching on the Great Commission before, but you younger folks, you might not have. And something that I say today might change your life. Though we did learn from our Genesis reading that Abraham was 75 when he went, so septuagenarians, watch out. Uh, the Lord may stir your heart today as well. All right, I was talking to someone this week who, who belongs in that first category. Um, he was at the first service, so you didn't see him today. But someone whose work through uh, telecommunication technology is able to do a work of evangelism in Central Asia and in the Middle East, working with partners there on the ground, but he's based here doing evangelism. And in his organization, in the last 30 days, they've seen 50 people from Muslim backgrounds make a profession of faith. That's awesome. Here's the story of one of those 50. We'll call him Joseph. He began sharing the gospel very soon after he learned it himself. So that by the time he was baptized, he had already led someone to the Lord. So on the day he was baptized, he turned and baptized his friend the same day. Some days after this, Joseph was praying in his room and had a vision of Jesus, and Jesus told him to go. Not across the world, but just go out to the street. He listened to the go, 
And on the street, he saw a man who clearly had some kind of pain in his knee. He's like, I, I think now that I'm a believer in Jesus, I can do something about this. He went and he laid his hands on this man. He prayed just quietly in his heart, and the man said, whoa, what did you do? It's all healed. And the man said, well, I, I, I think I healed you in Jesus. Jesus can do that. And I think you're supposed to say hallelujah right now. Uh, finally, he, he decided, I really want to pray for my other friend, Austin, to be saved. So he and another buddy were praying for Austin. That night, Austin had a dream of a large cross. At the foot of the cross, he saw Joseph, the man praying. Joseph was standing next to the cross and calling his friend. Austin saw him the next day and said, you'll never believe the dream I had. And of course, Joseph went over and explained it all to Austin. Austin immediately accepted Christ. So, just a story of something that someone in our midst is a part of just in the last month. That's really encouraging. Um, and the same man that I was talking to, he said, right now is an exciting time to be involved in global missions, especially among the Muslim world. There are Muslims who are hungry and they're looking for the truth. Let's go to our text, Matthew chapter 28. So this is the very end of the gospel. Jesus has already died on the cross. He's already been raised from the dead. And now he's told his disciples, go back to headquarters, home base. Go to Galilee, where most of them were from, and where Jesus had done most of his ministry. There on a high mountain, he comes to them, and they worship him. And then he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he gives the, what we call the, the Great Commission. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, all authority in heaven. Last week, Bishop Stewart preached on the authority that Jesus has over unclean spirits, which we would say that's what this means. In the heavens, in the heavenly realm, in the spiritual realm, Jesus has all authority. So he's saying that here, and he's adding to that, but also all earthly authority. Kings and rulers of this world are under Jesus' authority. That's important because he's about to send his disciples to the kings and the rulers of the world. And as they stand and proclaim the gospel before kings, they will know that over the authority that they are talking to is the authority of Jesus. Uh, one interesting tidbit from 4th century church historian Eusebius tells a story that's not in the Bible, but I believe this to be true, where the king of some kingdom, I think it was Armenia, wrote a letter to Jesus and said, I've heard about you. Come to my court. I want to meet you. And Jesus writes him a letter back and says, I can't come to you. I have too much here to do, good boundaries, Jesus, but I will send one of my followers to you soon. And indeed, I think it was either Andrew or Thomas went to Armenia, and that was the first country that wholesale adopted the faith. So Jesus is going to be sending these 11 to kings and rulers, but he says, I have authority over them, so don't be afraid. And yes, I have authority over all spiritual beings and every spiritual authority as well. Now, as we look at our, our passage, we're going to really zero in on the first phrase in verse 19. So let's draw our attention there. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. 
The rest of this verse, and then verse 20, is simply unpacking what does it mean to make disciples. So baptizing them in the name of the Trinity, baptizing. When someone believes in Jesus and turns from their old life to the new, they are baptized, and that's the entry point into the life of a Christian. So baptism is that rite of initiation. But Jesus is saying it starts there, but it doesn't end there. He doesn't say go and make converts of all nations. He says go and make what? Disciples. So next he says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Help them to grow into the full stature of Christ, as we say in our baptismal liturgy. So baptism, that rite of initiation, but then the work of discipleship to grow them into the, full, the fullness of the image of Christ. So that's the Great Commission. That's what it means to make disciples of all nations. Jesus here gives to his church the monumental task to bring the message of salvation and the love of God in Christ, what we call the gospel, to bring that to every single person on earth. To succeed in this mission requires the faithful obedience of every single believer on earth, including you and me here today. Now, you'll hear me say and emphasize that doesn't mean that everyone here is or will be sent to the nations. We'll say more about that. Some will be. But we do know this, that every one of you has a part to play in fulfilling this great commission. And your job is to understand what are your instructions from Jesus to you. Okay, again, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. All nations. This compact little passage have, has a lot of alls in it. All authority. All nations baptized into all the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, commanded, uh, observing all that I commanded, and I'm with you all the days. A lot of alls. One thing that's amazing for us, standing where we are at the beginning of the 21st century and looking back, is we can see the activity of the Holy Spirit throughout history has by and large achieved the Great Commission. It is almost done. It is factually the case that almost every people group throughout the world has received the gospel and heard of Jesus. That is incredible. And in the last century alone, one century ago, 80% of the world's Christians lived in North America or Europe. Today, 60% of the church can be found in the global south. So it's amazing. The Great Commission is almost done. And yet, it is not done. And it will never be done until Christ returns. Here's why. Yes, it's true, the gospel has reached almost every people group throughout the world, but there still are many places where the gospel has reached but not yet saturated. Think of a country like India or even China where the gospel is growing, and yet it's not saturated, has not saturated those lands. There's also the sad reality that lands that once were rich in, in Christian population have lost the faith and have been replaced by false religions. So we think of the Middle East and North Africa, the birthplace of our faith, 
has now been replaced by the false religion of Islam. Or Europe, which only three, four centuries ago was a Christian society, has completely lost its faith and has now been replaced by the religion of secular humanism, also a false religion. And here in DuPage County, here in the western suburbs, here in America, the task is not done, and it never will be. There are lost people, those who do not know the love of Jesus, all around us. Many of them maybe know of Jesus, maybe know about Jesus, but they don't know Him personally. They don't know that they can talk to Him, and He will talk to them. They don't know what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. They don't have saving knowledge. Still others, even right around us, on your street, at your workplace, in your school, maybe in your extended family, they don't really know anything about Jesus, even the basics. So another reason that our task is not done and never will be done is that, again, the Great Commission calls us not to make converts but disciples the lifelong, ongoing work of becoming more and more like Jesus, and that is never-ending. So our task to help make disciples both to the ends of the earth and right around us, that is something we'll be busy with till the day we die and until Christ returns. St. Augustine said this about this passage. This is also encouraging, gives us hope, builds faith. He says, what did these disciples see that we do not see except by faith. They saw Christ in his resurrected flesh, something that you and I do not see, at least, uh, yeah, not that I know of. No, none of us have met him in the flesh or had a vision of him. But, he says, what do we see that those disciples could not see except by faith? We see the church gone to all the nations as Jesus said it would. So he says, let us then rest in what we see, the church gone to all the nations, to build faith for what we do not see, Christ in his resurrection body. What he has said has come to be. Let us not doubt that he was raised from the dead who said it. So we're encouraged as we look and we see that indeed the gospel has filled so much of the earth, though we also recognize our task is not yet complete. One more thing I'll say regarding mission to the ends of the earth. The mission that Jesus gave to the church, it is cosmic. It is universal in scope precisely because it is so deeply personal. Let me say that again. Our mission is cosmic. It's universal to the ends of the earth, not because it's impersonal and just about numbers, but actually precisely because it is personal. The reason that God wants every nation to hear about His Son, Jesus, is because God desires every person to know the love that He has for them in His Son, Jesus Christ. It's about people. Ezekiel 18, the Lord says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather I wish all would turn to me and live. Or in 2 Peter 3, the apostle says, the Lord is patient, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 
So Jesus, he's not thinking in, in this moment on the mountain. He's not thinking like a CEO of a global mega corporation, just wanting more, more, bigger, bigger. That's not what it's about for him. His heart, Jesus' heart is he actually cares about every single individual in each and every one of those nations to the end of the earth. And if that's true for every person out there even to the end of the earth, then it's true for every one of you in here today. Be assured that God desires each of us, He desires each one of you to know and experience the glory and the goodness of His love for you, given to you in His Son, Jesus Christ. Again, back to verse 19. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. I'm going to add another all that's here, implicit in the text. Go all of you, each and every one of you. Yes, all of you 11 here on the mountain with me, but by extension, absolutely, he is speaking to us here today in Wheaton, Illinois, at Church of the Resurrection. Go all of you. Go. You see the challenge with this passage is that we, we read it and it feels so different from our everyday experience, right? I, I've never experienced anything like what's happening for the disciples here on the mountain. And so when we read passages like that, we assume it's not for us and this is not about me. It takes place up on a high mountain, an epic, breathtaking view. Here are Jesus' special, selected, premium-picked leaders about him. And here they are with the resurrected Jesus, with their friend and their rabbi, who is also the almighty creator of the universe. He's there in the flesh. He is giving to them this monumental, cosmic, heart-stirring, makes me want to lay down my life for the cause of above all causes, bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That's what they're experiencing, and that's not my typical Saturday afternoon. Probably isn't for you either. So we look at this mountaintop experience and we say, well, what does that have to do with me? To be fair, okay, to be fair, that wasn't their typical Saturday afternoon either. It was a once-in-a-lifetime, this is going to mark you forever, mountaintop experience, and I have had some of those, and hopefully you have too. But to the question of what does this epic, monumental experience have to do with my everyday life? What's the common denominator? What's the connection between this and my life and your life? Well, here's the answer. The voice of Jesus. The experience of Jesus speaking, giving instructions for what to do next. That is something that we can and do experience. So epic scenery aside, notwithstanding, boiled down at its most simplest Understanding these disciples, they're just doing what they always had done before and what we do, listening to Jesus as he tells me how to live and what to do. That's why a life of prayer is so absolutely vital. So is there something in common between my life, your life, and this story? Yes, it's listening to the voice of Jesus and doing what he says. And, and because that and that alone is how the church will fulfill the Great Commission. It's also true that that and that alone is how you 
will live a faithful life as a Christian by listening to the voice of Jesus and doing what he says. Like the story that I, I read to you from the guy that we're calling Joseph. He heard the go. Go onto the street. There you'll meet a man. Then you'll know what to do. And he did it. He heard a go. And it wasn't a go across the world. It was go down to the street. But he heard the go and he went. And do you think that that can happen for you and for me, that we can hear the voice of Jesus leading us through the moments of our days? Yes. And I love that Jesus gives this this epic impossible mandate to the church, this impossible vision to fulfill. It reminds me of the feeding of the 5,000. This whole crowd, and Jesus says to the disciples, you feed them. They said, that's an impossible task. But notice in that story, after setting them to the impossible task, every other instruction that Jesus gives them in that story is something completely and absolutely possible. What else does he say? Go see what you have. Bring it to me. Tell them to sit down. Set this before them. Gather up the leftovers. Each of those instructions any human being can do. And in the midst of that, it's Jesus, of course, who works the incredible miracle and helps the disciples do what he told them to do, feed this whole crowd. So Jesus gives us an impossible task. And in, in this original story, I mean, imagine you're there on the mountain, there's 11 of you. And he's saying, you, 11, go to the whole world and tell them about me. Yet we read the book of Acts, and it's one day at a time, following the instruction and the leading of Jesus, small act by small act, until you look up and you're at the end of the book, and in the first generation, the message of Jesus has reached all throughout the Roman Empire. That's incredible. So if we want to see the gospel fully saturate every nation and return to those lands where it used to be but has been lost, and if we want to see fruit here in the Western Burbs in our own lives, then it will be the same way, little by little, listening for the voice of Jesus and doing what he says. The fulfilling of the Great Commission is unfolding one story at a time, one moment at a time, one small obedience at a time. You have a part to play in that. Listen for your instructions. You have a part to play. Listen for your instructions and how you will help fulfill the Great Commission. Recently, we've uh, been blessed with the ministry of Pastor Michael Wright from True Freedom. He was here last week at the panel on Sanctity of Life. He preached a few weeks back. And that partnership that now goes back almost a decade is really rich. And we've been blessed by Pastor Michael and, and his church, True Freedom. Some of you may not know because it is long enough ago now. Do you know how all of that started? All the fruit that we've reaped from that partnership and hopefully the blessings we've been to, to Michael and his church as well, came from a single act when Father William Beasley, one of the leaders in our diocese, he also heard a go. William, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go across that street, make friends with the pastor there. So if the mountaintop feels not like your average Saturday afternoon or your daily life, 
understand that you are fulfilling the Great Commission. And you are just like those 11 disciples on the mountaintop. Every time you put yourself in the presence of the Lord to listen for his voice, when you're listening for the go that Jesus is speaking to you today and in that moment. So when you come to church, come expectantly. Come expecting that you're going to hear Jesus speak to you. Listen for his voice. Listen for his direction. When you sit down for your daily Bible reading, listen for the voice of Jesus. Jesus, is there a go that you have for me from this text today or in this moment? When you pray, don't just rattle off your requests. Take time to listen. And as you go throughout your day, listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. I want to get better at listening for the voice of Jesus, don't you? And do you think that the Holy Spirit wants to help us do this? I do. Now, for some of you, listening for the go of Jesus to you will be like the go to Abraham. Leave your father's house in the land that you know. Go to the land I will show you. It'll be like the go to Moses. Go down, Moses, to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to set my people free. Speak that prophetic word. It may be the go to Jonah. Go to Nineveh. Proclaim love and a message of good news to your enemies and those who hate you. That may his, be his go to you. It may be like the 11 disciples who all went to distant lands, proclaiming the message of salvation in Jesus, leaving behind their homes, trusting in God for their needs, all but one of them dying a martyr's death for the gospel that they proclaimed. You might be called to go like that. Not everyone here will be. Some of you will be. Because Jesus loves the people who have not yet heard about him, and he might be asking you to go and tell them that and to show them what his love is like. But again, the mission is not only global. The task is all around us, and for those who stay, the task is not complete. Again, there are lost people all around us. At the very least, let us begin praying more regularly for the lost people in our lives. You all have someone on your street, in your workplace, in your extended family, maybe even under your roof. Begin praying. But also look for opportunities to share the story of what Jesus has done for them. Besides the lost that we are to evangelize, there are believers all around you who need discipling. And I hope by now you're getting it and uh, accepting the truth that the Great Commission is about discipleship. And if you want to know, how do I know if a particular believer needs discipling? And the answer is, are they breathing? Because every disciple needs to be discipled until the, di the day we, we die our dying breath. Now, of course, it is true that you are not equipped to disciple those who are about the same maturity as you or more mature, but look in your life. Who are those who are not as far along in their walk with the Lord as you? And in what way is the Lord encouraging you, inviting you to help disciple them, for them to grow more and more into the image of Jesus? Parents, the answer for you is easy. Your chief job and the reason that you exist is to disciple your children. That is a lot of work, but let me encourage you with this. A little intentionality goes a long way. So the go for you might be go 
Make a plan for bedtime prayers, for daily prayers with your children. That may be your go. All of us, though, we should be able to ask or answer the question, who am I discipling? Who in my life is not as far along as me that in some small way, but with some kind of regularity and intentionality, I am helping them grow to become more like Jesus? We should all be able to answer that question. But before I end this sermon, let me bring it back, though, to global missions, since that is the focus for this Sunday. Even if Jesus' go for you is not a go into all the world to the end of the earth, for you individually, particularly, you can still be involved in the work of global missions. So here's a few ideas I'll throw at you. Maybe one of them will stick, and this is Jesus' invitation to you this Sunday. First, I would say read a biography of the great missionaries, those who have left behind home, gone to a distant land, given up everything to bring the gospel to people who had not heard. Um, I've loved what I've read of Hudson Taylor, anything he has written or written about him. I haven't read personally about Amy Carmichael or Gladys Alward, but those whom I love would say those would also be in, in the top tier to read. So Hudson Taylor, Amy Carmichael, Gladys Alward. Uh, there's a book called God's Smuggler about Brother Andrew who brought Bibles across the Iron Curtain. Or if you're in the mood for ancient flavor, pick up Eusebius's Ecclesiastical History and read what did the church do from the beginning up until the fourth century. It is really encouraging. It's awesome reading. All right, so read. Read a biography. Read about the missionaries who've gone before. Second, pray. Um, a woman in this congregation recently gave me a booklet printed by the Voice of Martyrs, which tells you about every country in the world where there's persecution. And that is a great way to know, how do I pray for those places in the world where the gospel is, is not, um, is not, has not saturated those cultures? Um, she actually gave me a box of 30. So if that would be an aid to you in your prayer, stop by my office. I'd love to share those. She would be glad to share those. Pray for the nations. Go into our All Saints Chapel. We have a big map of the world. Any, many, miny, mo. Pick a country and pray. I actually do that sometimes. So you can also, uh, you can read, you can pray. You might decide, you know what, I want to get some skin in the game and financially support someone, one of our global partners who's doing a work in the world. Or you might decide to be a part of their Barnabas team or some of those, those monthly gatherings that support our workers in the world. You might also, last thing you might do, consider doing, is look for an opportunity to go on a short-term missions trip. Look for somebody you know or maybe an organization, and if you have a chance to do, even for a couple of weeks, that might be life-changing. And it is also true that many who are long-term on the field started out just by going on a short-term missions trip. So those are things you can do, even if you are not planning right now or don't sense a call to the nations to still be involved in the work of bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. But whether you go or whether you stay, understand that every one of you has a part in fulfilling the Great Commission. You have a part to play. Listen for your instructions. And this week, let's even start getting in that habit of saying, Jesus, what is the go that you have for me today in this moment? Is there a go that you have for me in this season of my life? Is there a go that you have for me on my life calling? Let's begin asking those questions. And as we grow in listening and obedience to Jesus, May this church see the Great Commission being fulfilled in the world and in our midst more and more every day. Amen.